0: Well, it's good to be here today. It's good to see you. Or meeting uh, new people. I'm um, not the best with names, but I usually remember faces. And so uh, the few of you that I've seen before, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to see you again. And the ones that I'm meeting brand new, obviously, uh, hopefully next time we come around, I will remember your face and uh, everything will be fine. And uh, you'll tell me your name once more. Uh, my name is Mike Van Bruggen, and I am the... Um, Word of Life Area Missionary for Michigan right now, covering both sides of the state. Uh, We're praying for someone to come to the east side and uh, and take the east side uh, in the future. Uh, At the moment, we don't have anybody in sight. Uh, I'm content to drive around. I'm just not here as often as maybe I should be. Uh, But uh, we've been uh, having a good time getting to know Greg and John and uh, working with the church here and uh, having to uh, come and stop in. I work with the youth groups and different things like that. Uh, I have um, the clicker here. And we'll turn that on and we'll get to the second slide. And I'll, I'll let my wife, Fran, this is Fran. I'll let my wife, Fran, uh, fill you in on our family since many of you are just getting to know us. And, uh, and you can see a picture of them up on the screen.
1: Our oldest son is Ethan. He is the one with the little boy. And he's the only one with one child. Ethan and Kimberly... And Quinn,
0: Quinn you yeah. can't
1: forget my poor grandson's name, Quinn. <laughs>
0: We're not good with names.
1: <laughs> they live in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and he's going to seminary and hopes to be um, a teacher in a um, Christian college somewhere. They're looking to maybe Peru right now for the next few years. They're looking towards that, and um, you can pray that God will direct them. And then all the way to the other side is our middle son, Brett, and his wife, Christia, and their daughters, um, Oakland and Aletta. Aletta is our youngest one. She is only two months old. So we have Oakland May and Aletta Lou. They have fun names in their family. (laughs) And then um, our son-in-law there is the tall one in the group, Andrew, and Andrew. Rachel, our daughter, they live in, oh, Brett and Christia live around the corner from us, so they're They're, our favorite children right now. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) They're just, one. if you could walk straight over there, it'd probably be 20 steps, but we have to go around the block to get there. They enjoy the house in between so we can't see everything that goes on. (laughs) (laughs) But Rachel and Drew are serving at a camp in Tennessee right now. They're in the middle of transition to something, but they don't know what. They're hoping um, a youth pastor somewhere, hopefully in Michigan, but they have their applications in, they're being looked at, and pray that God will direct them to where he wants them to go. Our oldest granddaughter is the redhead in the back. She's four years old, so we have from four years to two months, and there's six of them. So. And her name is Aubrey, and then in front of her is Elizabeth, and in front of her is um, Theodosia. Theodosia. We call her Teddy. So I was trying to think of her real name. Theodosia. So we have <clears throat> Teddy, Eliza, and Aubrey in that family. And we enjoy being grandparents. I don't know that I want to be an old grandparent, because I always thought my grandparents were old. And I, and I think of me now, and I go, I am not old. How can how can a grandparent be old? But And then... <laughs> <laughs> And then as we've been in South Africa and discipling people over there, our kids came back. Our oldest son went to college and didn't come over with us. And then the other two came back the first and second year we were over there. And so we had to adopt other children, right? So we discipled people through our discipleship training center over there. And we have many children over there now. But our three favorite couples or mm-hmm. is... um. Spoo and Diana are over there, and they are about ready to have our seventh grandchild. So we're excited that we're going to have our African grandchild over there. And um, we've just enjoyed the discipleship we've had with them. When we first met them, he was at the discipleship training center. Well, we met him before that. Before that
0: at camp. Even before
1: that at camp, he was just a camper. And um, he started going to youth group because there were cute girls there. So he we went to meet a girl, and he met Jesus instead. And then later on, at camp, he met his girl, and they're married. And they're now in the ministry over there. They're one of the couples that took over for us. And then one of my other favorites is my my daughter, and and her name is Natasha. That's it, Natasha. And she talks to me every week on Facebook Messenger and. I help her disciple her um, Sunday school over there. I help her, and then she helps them. And she is just a blessing to me, and and she wants you to pray that she'll find a husband pretty soon.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And Arthur and Lucy.
1: Oh, and then there's Arthur and Lucy, our Chinese um, children that we met in South Africa. Who knew that you would go to South Africa to meet Chinese people? But there are how many half a million half a million Chinese people in South Africa and we had no idea when we went there and we were praying with another ministry that was trying to go into China and we were praying for them to be able to reach the Chinese and we were just praying and praying for that and then one day God sent this Chinese couple Arthur and Lucy Faye and Yan Ru into our lives they just called up and said we need someone to disciple us. We don't. We want to work with youth. We don't know how. How are we going to do this? And we just started discipling them every Monday. Every Monday, right? Every Monday. Yeah. Every Monday, they came to our house because they wanted to learn. And they just kept coming and coming. And we finished everything. And we invented some things. And they just kept coming. And they said, we're not done. We have more to learn. You have to keep discipling us. So... We're still discipling them. They came to Word of Life in New York, and now they're the other half of the group that took over for us when we left. So we're just blessed to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. And uh, just to set your minds at ease, we didn't really invent anything. We sort of just dug into different parts of God's <laughs> Word. Just and all the stuff Word of Life. All, Yeah, we went beyond the stuff that Word of Life normally does into just general discipleship. And uh, those kinds of things. We have new prayer cards. I think there's some out uh, on, your, on your thing out there. We have some. Uh, we'll leave some more out there, but there's new prayer cards. If uh, Well, they're not new. They're a year old now, and that's how outdated they are. The picture on the back is that picture without the two new kids on them. But um, we can't keep up with, uh, with the family on prayer cards. We order them, and then uh, next thing you know, somebody says, Well, I'm pregnant, and here we go again. So, um, but I'm okay with it. I'll keep ordering them every year. We'll, we'll get a new set coming. Um, uh, talking about Spoo and Diana and Natasha and Arthur and Lucy. Well, Arthur and Lucy, Fran, I told you they're Chinese. They were born in mainland China. Um, Spoo and Diana. Spoo was born in Swaziland. Uh, Diana in Zambia. Uh, and uh, Natasha, I think, is authentically South African. And then we have others there as well. But uh, just uh, this is an add-on to the sermon today. Uh, God says in His Word in Acts 15 that from, he, made from, uh, he made all nations from one blood. And uh, we're all uh, the same. The differences that we see uh, between each other are uh, contained in 0.02% of our DNA. 99.98% we are the same. And uh, it's kind of crazy for me to think that, but when all the different billions of indicators that are in our DNA, uh, just a small percentage can uh, make those differences. And so really what we found out in South Africa, the big takeaway for uh, Mike and Fran from being in South Africa for eight years was we really are all the same. We've got different uh, cultures or something like that, but you know what? Uh, Those parents, they love their kids, they smile, they laugh. They do things they care about uh whatever they care about, I mean obviously culture impacts that, but um you know they 're made up just like us, and so uh you know we can disciple them because god's word is sufficient to do that, uh, even if they're from Africa and we 're from America. The discipleship works because God works and uh and uh we uh are just so uh you know so. Excited, firmly entrenched, I mean, I get a little bit excited when I start talking about what we do, uh, and uh, maybe you 'll see that later i don 't know, but um, it 's because of God okay it 's not because of Mike and friend uh, we 've got some cool experiences we 've got some cool stories that we can tell, uh, but i 'm going to run out of time if I do that, so uh, we 'll get going with the message and uh, and'll we'll, we'll, uh, maybe we can stand in the lobby and talk if you want to hear some other things. Uh, So with Word of Life uh, in the United States, in Michigan, and overseas, uh, basically all of us uh, as Word of Life missionaries, we have two goals. Every student or person hearing the gospel from a student somewhere, and every student or person in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And those are pretty universal things. Those are things that maybe your church would say. Those are things that uh, maybe uh, I think it is in a book somewhere by, by Greg Steer. Uh, is something that you know is not really owned by anybody. We've just kind of grabbed onto that, and we've said, you know, we want to move towards. So uh, when pastor says we want to come alongside the church and help you with what you're already doing, we want to move towards every student or person. Uh, hearing the gospel from a student or person somewhere. So every mom hearing the gospel from a mom somewhere. Every factory worker hearing the gospel from a factory worker somewhere, and so on and so on. And then every person in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that's probably why you're here this morning, because you want to be in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you come and you sit under His Word. Uh, You do maybe a devotional. You pray. You pray. Uh, those are the things that we do because we love Christ and we want to be more like Him, and we want to um, to do that. But you know, uh, we are not—we're uh, fallen, right? And it's not our first nature to do that. Our first nature is to sin and to and to be apart from God. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Uh, but we've been getting some interference as well, and some things have changed in the last year. And uh, like, I don't want to really go back and relive the pandemic, but the pandemic has given us interference. Youth groups were closed or interrupted. Uh, churches were closed or interrupted. There were uh, different paradigms that were, that were done. Some churches were doing uh, parking lot services with an FM radio transmitter. Others, some were closed down. Some were doing mask mandates. Some were not. There were a lot of uh, churches fighting inside the church about things like that. Um, there was fear of judgment based on floating social expectation. Uh, Fran and I never stopped visiting places. God spared us from uh, contracting COVID, um, and we're, we're thankful for that. But we never stopped uh, visiting places. But we would have uh, like a little kit in our pocket with a mask and with some, uh, you know, hand sanitizer and stuff like that. And we would go into a place, and uh, we would really literally have 10 to 15 seconds to figure out, what is the protocol here? What are people expecting? And we would quickly uh, change to do that uh, because we found, out, we found out very early on that you could offend by wearing a mask, you could offend by not wearing a mask. Uh, and so it was, it was a culture interference thing, right? And that was getting in the way with the ministry and stuff like that. So um, breaking the social fabric of our society causing us to live in a fundamentally different way. Uh, We had those kinds of problems going on with the pandemic. Now, that's not the only thing that influences us uh, and that changes uh, the way that we live. There's also, you know, different um, uh, factors, you know, maybe economic factors, maybe uh, political factors. Uh, There's all kinds of things that come and, and sort of try to impede the world crowds around what we're trying to do and tries to crowd us out. Uh, It can be the pandemic, it can be other things, it's just like the biggest thing that's happened in the last year, so that's why I'm talking about it, Uh, but nothing is normal. Uh, Can you imagine, could you have ever imagined someone canceling 4th of July? Uh, I mean, when we were in Africa, that was was my saddest day of the year because I was missing 4th of July, they don't have that over there, you know? Uh, they shoot off fireworks at New Year's and you get to see fireworks, but it wasn't 4th of July. It wasn't hot dogs. It wasn't apple pies, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, remember uh, someone uh, having the guts to say, you know, you can only have so many people in your house at Thanksgiving or you can only have so many people in your house at Christmas. Would you have ever thought that that would happen? No. A lot of interference, a lot of Uh, A lot of different things crowding into our lifestyle, crowding into the fabric of our society, uh, and crowding then into us as Christians living out what we believe and what we want and how we want to interact with others, Uh, and it was really, uh, literally depressing. Uh, These are CDC numbers, not that I really follow the CDC that closely, but it's something that I can quote. Um, So rates of depression are up three times the normal rates thoughts of suicide have about doubled. I've heard uh, many people who, uh, who say private, said privately to me, uh, to, to me that those numbers are actually higher than that, worse than that. Uh, but um, what we have found out is that uh, there's no purpose for life. People have nothing substantial to do when, when they're isolated like that and they have no one to do it with and life in isolation is very dissatisfying. So in short, people are finding out that all the stuff that they keep busy with is gone and they have nothing to cling to. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's translate that a little bit. The God-shaped hole that's in their heart that they stuff everything in the world into to try to make up the gap is gone because of isolation. And so they don't know what to do they don't have an identity beyond all those things that they stuff into that God-shaped hole where their identity is supposed to be found in Christ. That's what I learned from the, from the pandemic. And that's what I see. And, you know, it's, it's kind of over, but it's not really gone away yet. Because now people are racing to throw things in there and they're finding out, well this really wasn't as good as I thought it was in the first place. Because I kind of like that that calm lifestyle a little bit. A lot of them are finding out, right? I mean, I've, I've found out that it's it's okay not to visit a bunch of people in a week. I can live that way. You know, I mean, our job and what we do, we're kind of on the road a lot. We're kind of talking to people. We're kind of visiting people and, and learning things and helping people and ministering and things like that. But You know, uh, I found out that I can go on without that. Uh, Different people are finding out that they can go on without the million things in their life, but they still then don't know what to do. There's a war going on of ideas and ideals. Uh, It's in our state, it's in our country, it's in our world. Uh, Perhaps the pandemic made the war more visible to us, but the war has always been there. This is just the latest thing to bring it to the surface. And the map there is just kind of a map of the Word Life groups in Michigan. It's kind of a perimeter map. They're all in the middle there somewhere. I just put that up there because we're going to talk about maps in a minute. And I just thought it would be interesting for you to see where other groups are. Actually, the map is not accurate because there's one up in um, um, North Branch that got outside the lines there. But other than that, I think it's pretty good. And uh, so that's where we drive all the time. That's where we hang out. And uh, so the map is there, but uh, we're going to talk about theology ruling over philosophy, and I'm going to equate it to um, the difference between a road map and a GPS. And so, a road map, you have to know where you are, right? And you have to uh, have the correct map. Like if I'm if I'm going to be on Cedar Street, you got a Cedar Street here in Emily City. We live on Cedar Street in Schoolcraft, right? But if I have an MLA City map, I'm not going to be able to find my house on there, am I? You have to have the right map. I have to at least know where I am in the bigger picture. And then if I can find both of those points, I still have to find a pathway to get in between. That's a roadmap. With a GPS, the GPS locates you. And I can punch into my GPS Cedar Street to Cedar Street, and it will, it will know where I am. It will know where I want to go, in theory. Okay, I know that we all have GPS stories to share, right? But, but it gives you, then it gives you a pathway, right? Now, a global positioning system uses satellites to guide you. I'm going to switch this acronym over and call it the God Positioning System. We're going to begin to talk about uh, the philosophy of our lives being governed by theology so the God-positioning system uses God's Word to guide, okay? There's a standard. There's something there to locate you. There's something there to tell you where you should be. And there's something there that's going to tell you how to get there, like a GPS, okay? So now, uh, uh, going back to philosophy now, philosophy as a road map, Because philosophy doesn't really know where you are, and I'm sure that uh, at least the younger people in here have looked at maybe some YouTube videos of a guy uh, explaining to the camera why he's really not there using philosophy, that, you know, uh, there's crazy videos out there and people proving stuff that doesn't exist while you're looking at it and different things like that because philosophy doesn't really know where you are. And philosophy then can never be the leader. And the world wants us to focus on a philosophy that has no ground. It wants us to focus on things that can change, okay? And it, and it says things like "follow the science." Well, you know, good science is repeatable, but theoretical science in philosophy is still changing because there, it's a theory that they're testing out, and they're trying to make it go, and they see what's wrong with it and what's right with it, and they go on. So, I mean, you can always heat water up to boiling point and it'll boil. That's always going to happen. That's science. But uh, you can't always say, you know, something else with science. So uh, theology has to be the leader. As a GPS, the answer lies in the very beginning of God's Word. We're going to go to Genesis in just a second, Genesis 1, and we're going to begin there. And we're going to start to look at uh, mankind and what we're supposed to do uh, based on what God's Word says And what God says about us. Uh, So we're going to find out what we're here for and what we're supposed to do. And so let's go to uh, Genesis 1. And I'm going to start reading. Oh, I'm sorry. i got one more slide in here before we do that. But you can go to Genesis. And so the quick overview of kind of what we're talking about is, you know, in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2, it, it talks about creation. It talks about God made us. It talks about God made everything that we see. And he made it perfect. There was no problem with it. But then in Genesis 3, we see that sin enters the world. And because of sin, what does the Bible say? Things die, right? Uh, the wages of sin is death. Your iniquities become, come between you and me. Uh, God says that. Uh, and so as soon as... Man sinned. The very next verse, he starts to hide. He starts to build coverings to cover himself. He's hiding his shame. He hears God coming in the garden and he hides from God because of shame, because of guilt, right? But then we fast forward through. um, There's many things in the Bible, and then You know, Jesus comes, Romans 5, 8 is there. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made a remedy for that sin problem. And that's grace. That's God giving us something that we don't deserve. That's God doing something that we can't do. That is God on our behalf. Okay? So in the beginning... The way it was set up, we're going to start reading in verse 26 of chapter 1 in Genesis. And the whole verse is not on the slide, so I'll read the whole verse. You can read along with me, or you can just look at the slide. The the main parts that I want are on the slide. But verse 26 says in Genesis chapter 1, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, And over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There's a couple key things in there that we want to look at. There was a theological philosophy and purpose for mankind before God even created us, because He doesn't create us till the next verse. So we don't have to create a philosophy or a purpose for mankind, that's not our responsibility. And for any of us who are trying to do that, we're out of bounds. That's God's place. Right? Theology has to guide our philosophy or, or it's all no good. Serving as God's representatives on earth is a theological philosophy. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and cattle of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that has dominion. Okay, so we're supposed to have dominion. We're supposed to have rule over that. That's a service to God. A Theological purpose, exercise that dominion over the earth. Manage the earth subdue the earth later on it says subdue it and then verse 27 so god created man in his own image and in the image of god he created he him male and female created he them if you just skip over to chapter 2 verse 7 it gives us a little more detail he formed god or god formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul God formed man and breathed life into his nostrils, and man became a living soul, different than the animals. He gave us a soul that's going to last forever, a soul that can imitate his. And we're going to talk about some of that stuff later on, but, you know, God loves, and he is love, and we, you know, now in Christ, we're reunited with God through Christ, right? We can love we can 't love quite like God can love, but we can love we can we can uh, exhibit that attribute in our life as we go forward um, god is is true, God is just you know we can we can exhibit justice at times in our fallen state you know we can we can still do something that 's just and right as far as a, a situation maybe between Uh, Our kids or something like that. We can judge those things like God judges sin. And we can judge based on what God says is right and wrong. And we can bring that to the table. And we can imitate God in that way. Uh, And he created our soul to be like his. Okay? So we have an everlasting soul. A soul that's going to be somewhere forever forever. And a soul that is capable of imitating him. We have a thought and an intellect that allows us to do that. We can look at his word and gain knowledge from that. We're able, okay? And then verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He says here, subdue it. Bring it to order. Bring the earth from chaos into order. Organize it. Utilize it. Rule over it. In biblical times, an image and likeness um, was Uh, Sometimes it was uh, linked to a victorious king of battle. Uh, And so if a king came and uh, sieged your city or sieged your country or whatever, and he won, the statues of your king came down, and the statues of the new king went up to remind everybody in the country or in the city who was ruling over that at the time. Who do our taxes go to? Who makes the rules here? Well, it's this guy in the statue. So, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar takes over. uh, It it comes and, and, uh, you know, sacks Jerusalem and takes people back. And Israel goes into captivity. Well, then Jerusalem is under Nebuchadnezzar, right? Okay, that's just a picture of Alexander the Great. Just a picture that I found because I wanted a picture of a statue there. Uh, But it's put there to remind you who's reigning in that area or what... What is creating your cultural norm? Today in societies, we might identify with a flag rather than a statue. Uh, You might look at a flag and think of a country and you'll start to just uh, be able to make some general assumptions about their culture and what goes on there. Uh, Flags help us convey what we stand for just like the statues of old did. Uh, Believers are statues of God left in the land to remind the population who the land belongs to. God created it in the first place and he made man to to be there and to bring it into order. To represent him on this earth. Theology is to guide philosophy. Because God made it that way. Because God in the beginning created an earth created a world and he could have organized it himself and he did to a certain degree organize it himself but then he made man to go ahead and work in there and for man to go ahead and start making some decisions and doing some things that emulate what God the things that God would do bring it into order and to rule Theology is to guide philosophy. And so we come to the missions of it. You know, uh, It says in Mark 16, uh, 15, he, says, he said unto them, this is Jesus, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature under the authority of the maker, under the authority of Jesus Christ, whose image and right, likeness we represent. Now this, this picture is from one of our uh, trips to Honduras. And uh, that's a picture of Jesus. It's about 75 foot tall. I guess it's cement or some kind of stone. Uh, Jesus there uh, on about a 25 foot pedestal uh, overlooking the capital city in Honduras. And it's to remind the people that that place was settled with some sort of a Christian influence. And, then, and, and that statue is there to remind those people of that. So they were settled Catholic. You know, maybe we're not Catholic, but at least it, it, it works as a symbol, right, of uh, uh, what the place was settled as, and what this current culture is doing is supposed to be doing there. They've never replaced that statue today. Now we would say, oh, you know, there's a cross back there behind the baptistry. You know, we maybe identify as Christians as believers with a cross rather than you know, a 75-foot Jesus statue. We would identify with the cross because that's where Jesus died. That's where Jesus uh, paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus rose again, so he's no longer on that cross. And we can identify that cross with our Savior who's risen and who is now uh, the one that we're serving. That is there to remind us. It's not there as I deco- I don't think it's there as a decoration. No, it's there to remind us Who we serve, who we represent, who we're supposed to be pointing people towards. Apart from God who made us and saves us, we cannot be eternally fruitful in all ways, uh, being a godly influence in this world. We can't do that without Jesus Christ. We can't do that without the cross. We can't do that without knowing who we serve. Apart from God who made us and saves us, we cannot exercise dominion or rule or manage the earth with godly qualities on display. I mean, we can do a job. The world is trying to do a job of, you know, organizing and moving things around and doing different things, uh, creating governments that don't serve God and whatnot. But they're not, they're not uh, exercising the, the dominion or rule and manage the earth with godly qualities. They're doing their own man-made qualities and when you do something in your own power, and when you do something in your own strength, who gets the glory for it? Does God get the glory for that? What if we're serving God and we do something and we organize and we 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 praise and we worship and we do the things that, that God has told us to do because God told us to, right? The key word, because God told us to, who gets the glory for that? God does, doesn't he? That's a very important yet very subtle distinction that seems to get away from us when our theology does not guide our philosophy. The minute we start to say, I can do this and I'm going to do this and, and you know, I, me, me, I, I, we even sometimes without the influence of God in our lives, we're taking his glory. We're no longer serving the one that made us. We have to be careful about that. No king, apart from our God, could make statues like God's statues. Referring to us now as believers. We are animated. Our soul can follow and emulate His. We can glorify God. There is nothing else in the world that can make a statue like that. And when you think about it in this way, we're walking, talking statues or billboards or however you want to however you want to describe it, we're supposed to be walking, talking statues representing our Savior, Jesus Christ, in this world to bring it into subjection to Him, to subdue it with God's love so that they want to be subdued. And it's a high goal. It's a hard thing, but that is our task. To glorify God in that way. So here's a little illustration for you. And I'm, I'm going to start moving quicker because the time's running on me here. But, you know, there's a picture of us, and, and we're going on a road trip. we got our kids in the car, right? And we're driving through uh, the town, and uh, speed limit's 25, and my wife is there with me. And she says, honey, you're going a little bit fast. The speed limit's 25. You better slow down. Right? That carries some weight for me because she's my wife, and she's important to me. So I'm going to at least think about slowing down. All right? Some, some of the girls are shaking their head no, Fran. I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Okay? But let's kick it to the next level. There's the policeman there. What if the policeman stopped me and said, Hey, buddy, you're going a little bit fast. The speed limit's 25 here. Slow down or we're going to give you a ticket. Well, now, now it's threatening my pocketbook a little bit, right? And my wife is still there, right? She's probably saying, you know, if you would have slowed down, you wouldn't have got pulled over. That carries a little more weight, right? But what carries even more weight is when you got to go before the judge. You get the ticket, and you got to go before the judge. And he says, buddy, you were going 25. uh, You were going over the 25, and uh, now you need to pay a fine or something like that. Okay, so uh, the example here is that, you know, because of the different positions and relationships that we have with one another... That you know, we carry weight into the situation. Whatever we're a witness of, whatever we're a representative of, uh, if we're if we're uh, followers of Christ, we're supposed to bring some weight into that situation. We're supposed to be people who other people will take seriously when we display our faith. Which means we follow His word. We live by His word, right? So we're supposed to carry weight into this. Humans are to live life as God's images. Uh, Godly likeness, carrying weight into situations to glorify God by the power of God. We're not left here on our own. We have God's Word. We have the Holy Spirit. By the power of God, we're supposed to do this. So back to Genesis 128, just to remind us, God blessed them. Okay, that's a good note to start on. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. We have a theologically guided philosophy. Be uh, fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. It's under our jurisdiction. We are here to win the world to Christ. We're created by God, animated and able reminders of His glory. Theologically purposed for working on earth for Him, fruitful in all ways, uh, it, having dominion or leading according to God's character, subduing uh, the earth, tamed by God's goodness. If we could really project God's goodness and we could accurately articulate that to the people who are hurting, the people who, who got this big hole in their heart and they keep stuffing things in there and they can never be satisfied. And we can tame them with God's goodness. They'll want to be tamed just by knowing God in that way, being God's weighty and animated statues. So I don't know if you can see good enough in the picture there, but there's a guy with a Michigan shirt on there. His name is Andy. Andy is a youth pastor at one of the churches on the west side of the state. And he's just one of the guys that I put up here. There's, there's many people I'm going to show you. I know Greg does stuff as well out in the community. This church gets involved in the community. We're talking about something that's coming up recently. that we're going to help train teenagers um, on that. Uh, but um, Andy takes time off of his youth group church job. To be a student teacher in the school so he can get to know more kids and guess what happens some of those kids end up coming to youth group some of those kids end up getting saved he's not doing it for the money i mean they do pay him but he's not doing it that's not the reason he's there right uh the next slide here is is randy it's the same picture but right next to andy that head that's kind of floating in the back there on that side that guy's name is randy uh Every week, he and another guy, they trade off, get up early before school and they go to a different town that's maybe 10 minutes away, 15, minutes not a long ways, but they go to a different town and they do a breakfast club Bible study with the students in the school. He doesn't have to do that and nobody pays him to do that. But you know what? They got a group of like 30 or 35 young people that come to that thing. Sometimes they come to some of our events, they hear the gospel, they go to his youth group, and their lives are changed. Uh, another example this is Luke. he lives out in Montana. We worked with Luke and Aaron when we were in South Africa. Uh, Luke is doing a church plant in the, in the Indian Reservation out there in Montana somewhere. He tells me, but i don 't know the names of the places out there, so I never can remember it but he decided one day that you know, his church was older people and there weren't a lot of kids there and he wanted to meet some young people. So he signed up to be a school bus driver. Not because he's got a lot of free time being a pastor of a church that he's just trying to start from scratch, right? You think that guy's got a lot of free time? No, because he wanted to meet young people. And guess what? Some of them started coming to church. This is, uh, this is Tim. Same story Again. Uh, volunteering as a football coach, 8th grade football coach. He's not in that for the glory. 8th grade football coaches don't carry much stature in the community, right? But guess what? Some of those kids end up going to his youth group because he gets involved in the community. So inside of our church community, we're we're, uh, usually good at taking care of one another if um you know, if somebody uh, gets, uh, a, you know, I don't know what, a cancer diagnosis or something, they're going through chemo, you'll line up meals for them or you'll do visitations for them or something like that. But what if we just did that in our neighborhood? You, you, even if you live rural, you know people, you have people that, um, that you call your neighbors, right, that don't come to your church. But what if you're the one that sets up a, a food... Um, uh, chain for them? What if you set up uh, some visitation or some comfort for them or something like that? Would that be a weighty uh, weighty way of you displaying your Christianity to them? I think it would. Now I know I'm not, I'm not coming down hard on you because I know that this church is, is involved in community. But there's always another way. There's always another thing, right? Uh, and so uh, you know, I see this stuff and I see people doing things because I'm in a lot of different places and, uh, and, and people's, people that are doing these kinds of things, their ministries are growing. People that are, are just waiting for people to knock on their door and come in, those ministries basically aren't growing. Does that surprise anybody? I mean, we just got to think that, you know, we got to get out there and meet people. Uh, in the neighborhood, serve as a volunteer at the library. Be a little league coach. Be the, be the mom that brings cookies, you know. Um, uh, work at the homeless shelter. There's probably a pregnancy shelter somewhere, a pregnancy ministry somewhere that you can volunteer at. Help them with the phones or help them with whatever. Get trained and help them in an, even a more tangible way. Um, and do it all with the gospel in mind. Did we do two slides there at once? So be creative, develop relationships with all people. COVID culture is robbing us of our relationships, okay? And the more we get into our thumb culture of texting and phones and all that, uh, the more we pull back from people, the more we're being robbed of our relationships. And our relationships are what we have to dig into people's lives with to represent Christ. So whether it's COVID or whether it's just, you know, you think it's age-related or whatever you think it might be, we have to overcome it. We have to build relationships. Lack of relational activity robs us of our opportunity to show God's likeness to other people. And that's just really putting it short in one sentence. That's, that's basically the whole sermon in one sentence. We can't, if we can't have relationships with people, if we don't get out, if we don't allow ourselves to go out there and be vulnerable and talk to people and try to meet their needs and represent Christ to them, you know, maybe the gospel doesn't come out in the very first conversation, but eventually, you know, you hear stories about this, and this can happen with you too. Eventually they say, why do you do this? Why are you helping me? The door is open right there. They're showing you the hole in their heart. They're showing you what they need. They need someone to represent Jesus Christ to their life, and that's a time to really verbally bring it out. But it all starts with relational activity. People without God's positioning system need help with life on earth. And even more than that, they need help with what's going to happen beyond. Because... Even if they're, you're a sinner saved by grace or you're a sinner who has rejected Christ, your soul, the soul that God gave you, the soul that is going to live forever, is going to live forever somewhere, is going to live with God or is going to live without God. And that's true of every single person on this earth. So when philosophy fails to follow the- theology, we all lose. So we need to subdue our world, conquer it in a way that that they will want to be tamed by God's goodness. Bring order from chaos. Love God. Spend time with God. Emulate Him. Let God well up in your heart in such a way that it spills out on other people. That's the way that you become that walking, talking statue that represents Jesus Christ. Just let Him live through you. And so, we come to the end. We've seen that God made us. He made the earth. He made everything. And it was perfect. It was very good. But then sin entered. And we, as a a human race, started hiding from God. And many of you have children. You know what happens when... Uh, the glass breaks, or uh, something spilled. Where are the kids? Uh, they're gone hiding somewhere. You know, I didn't do it, right? That's exactly what we did to God. We we hid. We not only hid ourselves, but we hid away. That sin separates us from God. We need to come back to that. Jesus Christ. Uh, God knew the problem. Sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to save us by dying for us. The ultimate sacrifice. Guys from yesterday, all in, right? He was all in. He died for us to save us. The only thing that we need to do is make a decision to trust Him. The only thing that any of your friends need to do is make a decision to trust Him. We talked about the thief on the cross, the two thieves on the cross, and the one thief asked Jesus to remember him. Right? Think about that guy on the cross. Just doing this for the guys to remember yesterday. The only ability that man had left was his ability to make a decision. His life was over. He was hanging on the cross waiting for it to end. He couldn't do anything. But make a decision to believe Jesus. And that's where we find our friends and our relatives, those who don't know Christ. They have that ability They can't save themselves, even though they're not on a cross. They can't save themselves. They can't do anything good enough. They can't be good-looking enough. They can't be rich enough. It's just by God's grace. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you. I think they're coming to sing or something like that. And I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to pray, and then I think the guys will sing, and I'll be up here there's really two questions. One, if you're here today and you, you just didn't understand that Jesus died for you and that you need to represent Him and that the only way is to make a decision to trust Him and believe Him for salvation, give Him your sins and take on His righteousness, you can come to the front row here and pray. Just sit on the front row and I'll pray with you. We can pray together. We can stay back later, whatever, whatever we need to do. And if you're here today and you think, wow, I'm just not representing Christ the way I ought to, and you want to rededicate yourself to that, you want to get back into where you should be with Christ, being that representative, that walking, talking statue that points people to Jesus Christ by the way you live, come up here as well. Have a seat. We'll pray. I want to pray with you. Okay? And then we'll, we'll be finished. We'll trust God for the results. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for every opportunity that you give us to share your word, to um, represent you. Lord, as we kind of took a hard look at that today, we just pray, Lord, that you would constantly be bringing into our minds as we do our devotions, as we, as we pray to you, as we do the spiritual disciplines that we do because we love you, that maybe maybe it's time for us to take the next step, to be a little more overt in our witness, to be a little more bold in our faith, Lord, to just maybe be a little more stable in our faith. Whatever the need may be, Lord, maybe there's somebody here who just needs to trust you for the very first time. Lord, we pray that that your spirit would take over this room, that you'd give people courage to come down here and pray to come down here and just let it be known that I'm making a decision today and that I want to do something. And I want to do it now. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.